0: So many books, so little time. If you've ever said, I really want to read the Bible, I just can't fit it all in. Welcome welcome to to the club. club. This is the Bible Book Club. We'll read it to you and help you make sense of the most important book you'll ever read. If you're new, and this is your first time joining us on Bible Book Club. I just want to say, go back and start at the beginning, because we are in the beginning, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, but we really started in the very beginning, which was chapter one. So go back, listen to the overview, and then listen to episode one so that you can get a full understanding. You will read every word of the Bible here in Bible Book Club. So that was just a little disclaimer. And now, for those of you who are caught up with us, I'm going to give you a very quick catch up on where we are in our story today, because... Because our characters, they've been busy. So you ready? I'm ready. Alright. <laughs> so here we are. Abraham lied about Sarah again. again. <laughs> Doesn't learn his lesson that guy. Sarah and Abraham finally had a baby. That was Isaac. But Sarah takes a lot to make that lady happy. She didn't like Ishmael's mocking attitude. So Abraham picked up his oldest son Ishmael for a life unknown with no cell phones back then. No way to check on him. Which is really sad. Um, I just can't imagine. Poor Ishmael. Never thinking you're going to see him again. Hagar, Ishmael's mother, ended up in the desert again in tears. Ishmael received a promise to become a great nation. And then he became the father of the Muslims, which are still today. And Abraham made a treaty with Abimelech and planted a tamarisk seed in the promised land.
1: Oh, that was a lot last and week. And here we are. And here we are in chapter twenty-two, and we're going to cover twenty-three too. But uh, this chapter twenty-two is one of those chapters that just has layers of symbolism. We could spend. A, we could camp out here for a couple of weeks, actually. So we're going to go quick. It is extreme. Uh, it's an extreme chapter, and I titled it "The Inconceivable Command and Last-Minute Save" because God is about to do something kind of crazy. Our hero Abraham has finally overcome the infertility hurdle that has hindered him from God's promise. He has a son to fulfill his calling to become this great nation and as numerous as the stars. And this son, Isaac, is understandably precious to him. He had him very late in life. Never thought he would finally get here and he's here. But is he too precious? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. No one can do that if they love something else more. How much does Abraham love Isaac? Well, we're going to find out in this chapter because God is going to test Abraham by asking him to do the inconceivable. And scene one, we're going to read the inconceivable command. We're going to read it straight. I'm not going to interrupt Heather because it's a sweet story and it's a test and the test is fascinating. Fascinating because God's command and God's promise in this test
0: are in diametrical opposition. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham... "'Here I am,' he replied. "'Then God said, "'Take your son, your only son, "'whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. "'Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. "'I will show you.' "'Early the next morning, Abraham got up "'and loaded his donkey. "'He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. "'When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, "'he set out for the place God had told him about. "'On the third day, Abraham looked up "'and saw a place in the distance.' He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood.
1: All right, so the first thing I just want to give you my off-the-cuff comments, because what the heck? Where was Sarah did he not tell her? Can you imagine that scene? What did he say? Like, hey, babe, Isaac mm-hmm. and I are going to go on a little, a little camping trip. And she would say, like, where? Where are you going? Well, you see, I got word from God and he says, what is she going to say to him? They've waited for, she has waited forever. There's for no way son. he told her. He must not, because <laughs> we don't have a word from her. Because that woman is intense. I yeah, <laughs> She is. I don't know if he sent her on a shopping spree or what, but she was no way, nowhere to be found. Um, She would have literally tied her. Self to the child, yeah, uh, and and gosh, I don't, Heather. What was Isaac thinking? <laughs> I- I mean, he's
0: probably scared. Yeah, because he's being bound. He asks, how old is he in this scene?
1: Okay, so he is definitely not a baby, not a young child. He may have
0: been like early tween age. Oh, there is not a chance in the world that my son would have let me. (laughs) Your son's (laughs) taller than you. Six foot three, he's 15.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it would not have happened with your son. But again, yeah, I don't know what Isaac was... Obviously, Isaac was curious. The other thing is... You know, so many questions, they journeyed for three days. So Abraham kind of had this in his heart and that speaks a lot to him. And we're going to get into that. So the theme of this is the testing of your faith. And I think it is a amazing lesson for all of us because we go through trials and we think, and people say, oh, well, God is just testing you. And that just, you know, drives you crazy because like, why would God test me this way? But in this case, he is, he's testing Abraham's faith. Abraham has a huge calling on his back. And God has, and Abraham's had some ups and downs, but God is testing him. And remember, Abraham has been prepared. Think about where he's been. This was his test prep. Genesis 12, he's called to leave his home. He proved he loved God more than his father. Genesis 13, he has to let go of Lot, proving he loves God more than Lot. Genesis 18, he pleads for Sodom and lets go of Sodom. Genesis 21, he's still waiting for Isaac. Genesis 21 again, he lets go of Ishmael, proving he loved God. more than Ishmael. Now he has to prove to God that he loves him more than he loves this long-awaited son, Isaac.
0: Does he have the faith to obey? All right. You know, I'm thinking one more thing. A couple episodes ago, maybe it was two episodes ago, we talked about Abraham questioning God and it's Mm -hmm. okay to question God, right? But he doesn't question him at all. No. And does that mean that he's now come so far in the things that he's learned? He's grown in wisdom. Yes. And he now just is blindly trusting. Yes.
1: And that is one of my points because he doesn't, he is silent. I'm sure in his head he was playing out every single scenario. Like, what does this mean? Why would God ask me? I'm gonna cover that in a sec, because I wanna, I wanna to get to why he wouldn't have just totally freaked out about this. So um, but before I do, I wanna talk about tests, trust, and traps. And this is a lesson for today. There's a difference between how God and Satan test us. Satan really tempts us. He's not testing us, but he is because he's testing us, he's tempting us to test us to see if we'll fall trap. So, tests versus traps. God tests us to prove trust. God's tests are opportunities to build our faith. If we pass a test, it builds our faith. Satan tests us to trap us. Satan's tests have the potential to destroy our faith. One builds
0: faith, one destroys faith. But these are very difficult things to discern. And yes. usually, I don't know about you, but in my life, I usually can discern it afterwards and yes. not ahead of oh, time. hindsight is so
1: much better than foresight. I mean, foresight. It's
0: hard. It's very hard. It's very hard.
1: And it's also very hard if you're going through trials like somebody has cancer or something like that to to see it as an opportunity to prove your faith. Mm-hmm. James 1:12 says, "Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him."
0: Okay, so here's the question then, what trials have you conquered? Mm-hmm. And then if you write them down and you know that God has prepared you for whatever that test was, was, then are there tests that you maybe failed that, you know, Jesus is the only one who ever passed that test. So how can you use that to then help other people? Exactly. And it's okay to fail tests because again,
1: Jesus was the only one who didn't.
0: Yeah, he's the only perfect person as, ever to walk through.
1: Exactly. As long as we grow and it's okay in trials and tests to be sad, to grieve, but there is something God is teaching you in every trial and latching onto that and really keeping your heart. All right. So let's do, get back to what you said before, Abraham, response was an act of faith. This is one of his shining moments. For sure, that will be mentioned again in Hebrews. So first know that child sacrifice was a thing. So if you think this is just a thing that was kind of God threw out there, like no one had ever heard of doing this. No, in Canaan, among the pagans, they had child sacrifices, but it it was not acceptable. Yeah, really. It was not in Canaan, but the Canaanites were not, not Israelites. So it wasn't acceptable for God's people. And it certainly didn't make sense for Isaac, the promised, long-awaited child. The steadfast way that Abraham obeys speaks to his trust, although his instincts had to be screaming, no, no, this cannot be. God has lost his mind. Mm -hmm. This cannot be. Um, I'm sure he was tortured in those three days of walking. Okay, second, Abraham is a different man now. He's grown into spiritual maturity, like you said. He has confidence that God knows what he's doing. It took him years to get to this point. And a lot of doubting. And like you said, a lot of questioning. He doesn't, he may have been questioning in his head, but he didn't have to really ask God. Third, Abraham has learned to trust God. He doesn't need to question anymore. That doesn't mean he wasn't confused or upset. And it doesn't mean you're not going to be confused or upset if you go through trials. In fact, I'm sure he didn't sleep all night. He was probably on his knees praying for God to change his mind. Even Jesus, on the night before he died, asked God to take this cup from me. And he was meaning death on the cross us. It's a great example to us that is okay and only human to not want to suffer or face trials, even Jesus ask God, take this cup from me. If not, that will be done. He would go through with it. But he begged. And remember, mm-hmm. blood came out and sweat on his head. He was really praying hard. I don't want to do this. <laughs> if there's any other way, please. Yeah. The other thing that's a part of this act of faith was Abraham obeyed. He had learned to trust and obey as painful as every step was.
0: He kept going. And that's a really important point because you can use all of the experiences that you have as a growing opportunity. Yeah. And it is hard, but he really went through all of those. He saw the results of not obeying. And so now he's just like, okay, God, I've been here before. I'm just going to do this. Even though on that three day journey was probably the worst Torture. days of his life. I mean, you, you said he probably didn't sleep. No. I, my air conditioner breaks and then I stress all night and don't sleep <laughs> because I'm worried about how much it's going to cost. What this is that song? What is, is that significant? song? significant.
1: That song, Whatever Doesn't Kill You. Makes you strong. Makes it. you strong. <laughs> Thank you for singing it because I'm terrible. All right. So why? He had faith. Abraham faith. Why did he go through this so well? Abraham had come to know God so well that he knew God would not break his promises. He was clinging to that promise. God had promised that his line would be built through Isaac. Therefore, he must have reasoned in his head that there must be something he didn't know. Perhaps God what was gonna stop him. Or perhaps, you know, for all he knew, he could have been playing out the scenario that God was gonna raise Isaac from the dead. Um, the proof of Abraham's faith that Isaac would survive can be found in two verses that you just read. Verse five, you read... We will worship and then we will come back to you. That's what he said to the servants when we, he left them. We will worship. Then we will come back to you.
0: So it was like he knew, like he was a prophetic word. He was
1: saying, I believe Isaac is going to somehow come through this. Mm -hmm. And then verse eight, when he answered Isaac, he said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering,
0: my son. He knew God would provide, God would remain true true to his promise. Well, it's like when I'm watching season two of Outer Banks and I'm like, they can't kill her. She's the main
1: character. It gives you comfort, huh? Yeah.
0: Yeah. He, He was saying the same thing. All right. Scene two is the last minute save Verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So the
1: immediate fulfillment of Abraham's faith and trust was the provision of a ram, a substitute for Isaac. But the ultimate fulfillment of Abraham's trust is the provision of the lamb, Jesus, the substitute for us. I want to talk about a theme here and the theme of everything we just read and the words that we read is a foreshadowing of another father and son. So I'm going to do a comparison for you of Abraham and Isaac, the father and son in our story and God and Jesus, the larger father and son in our story.
0: Okay. And here, I love when she does this because this is the tangible evidence that this is why we read the Old Testament. It is pointing us towards the the New New Testament. Testament and Jesus. All right, Abraham and
1: Isaac. Isaac was a descendant of Abraham. Jesus was also a descendant of Abraham. Isaac was conceived by divine intervention. The angel visited Abraham, and Jesus was conceived by divine intervention of an angel,
0: and the angel visited his mom, uh-huh.
1: Mary. Abraham offered his one and only son, and the words were so similar here. God offered his one and only son, and and you read those words that I want. Want you to take your son, the son you love, your only son, and sacrifice him. And and that's what God said, this is my one and only son. Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice. Jesus carried the cross made of wood for the sacrifice. Isaac questioned the father. Jesus questioned his father. Isaac was submissive and one with his father. He didn't even fight, and he he was at an age where he probably could have mm-hmm. put up a little bit of a tussle. Jesus was submissive and one with his father. Isaac escaped death after three day journey. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Abraham said God would provide the lamb. God provided Jesus. The lamb. The lamb was a substitute for Isaac. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was a substitute for us. The ram was caught by its horns in a thicket. Jesus wore on his head a crown of thorn. Through Abraham's one son, Isaac, God grew the nation of Israel. Through this one son, Jesus, God grew the kingdom and the church. Sac- the sacrifice of Isaac was on a specific spot on Mount Moriah. Abraham named that spot, "The Lord will provide." The temple was built on the same spot on Mount Moriah, where all sacrifices were to be held in the Holy of Holies. When Jesus was crucified on the same mountain, the veil within the temple that was on that exact spot was rent in two. The Lord did indeed provide on that spot, on that mountain. He provided Jesus in his death on the cross.
0: Mike, drop. Like, <laughs> we could just stop the episode right now. There's so much we more, won't. to.
1: I could we go won't. to a whole analysis of just the wood and what that symbolizes is in the tree of life, but I'm not going to go there because I spent hours on this lesson. I was like, you could just go forever in this book,
0: in this chapter. Keep going though. Verse 14. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Okay, we are going to park here for a second because this is so cool. Like
1: I said, this temple was built on Mount Moriah just on this. I'm going to get into it, this same place. So these words, the Lord will provide, and on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided, translate either in the mount the Lord will appear or in the mount the Lord will provide. That's how they translate that one phrase. Now, let's take a closer look at the mountain where the Lord will either appear or provide because that mountain is still here today. Mount Moriah is the place of the Dome of the Rock. So Mount Moriah is where Abraham sacrificed Isaac on the rock of Mount Moriah. There is a huge rock there. Remember he said, take your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the mountain, I will show you. Mount Moriah is the site that David many hundreds of years later purchased. And here's the backstory for that because we're not going to get to 2 Samuel 24 for a while. It could be years from now. It could, not years, (laughs) but 2 Samuel 24 And again, in 1 Chronicles Chronicles 2, tell this story. And the short story on the story, I'm not going to read the whole thing, is this. David sins and the consequence of his sin is God sends a plague. 70,000 people die in this plague. And just as the angel is about to strike Jerusalem, so the the angel is moving through the land, killing people as a result of David's sin. And David is horrified. Right as the angel is about to strike Jerusalem, God stops him because David begs, God stops him. The place where he stopped him was the threshing floor, the rock of Arana the Jebusite, located on Mount Moriah. David sees the angel of the Lord there, and he buys the place from Arana to build an altar to the Lord. So now the rock is in possession of the Israelites. Now remember, David is not allowed to build a temple, a resting place for the Ark of the Covenant, because his hand has seen too much death. That privilege is given to Saul. Solomon, his son, Solomon decides to build the temple on the rock. The same Moriah. The same rock that he already owns, because his David, his father David, had purchased it. Second Chronicles 3 says this. Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Riah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite, the place provided by David.
0: Now, if you were not tracking with us, you may not remember because we haven't read this part yet. So that's all something coming up in a future episode of the Bible Book Club. Correct. Several generations from now. <laughs>
1: yes, because David is the son of 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 Abraham.
0: <laughs> just wanted them to know.
1: <laughs> yep. Just so you know, we are play We are fast forwarding quickly here. So the um. So Mount Moriah also, and again, I'm putting a map of Mount Moriah and the temple in the show notes. So you can see this. So this is where David has kind of built his kingdom around this Mount. It's kind of a, it's surrounded by valleys. It was very easily protected. And that's why David built it up there. And um, it's, it's where he lived. So this is where Jerusalem was built and the walls were built around the city for, first by David. And then they were expanded by Solomon because he built a path on yada, yada. It just grew. Mount Moriah is also where Jesus died on the cross. Now, Jesus obviously didn't die on the cross on the rock. But actually, Jesus was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem along the very north of Mount Moriah Ridge. So just a few hundred yards away. The rock. Let's just continue with the rock. Where are we with the rock then? So next in history, guess what? The rock on Mount Moriah is believed by Muslims to be the place from which the prophet Muhammad ascended into heaven. Remember, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and taken over. And so that's how they come into owning the rock. The most Famous and oldest Islamic site is the Dome of the Rock, a shrine that was completed in 692, and it completely covers the rock to this day. Muslims also consider Abraham a prophet. Remember, because he was Ishmael's father. However, instead of Abraham in their story, the Quran, instead of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, their Quran suggests Ishmael, not Isaac, was the sacrificial son. <laughs> it's the funny story twist.
0: Perspective of history. Changed.
1: Exactly. Now, the Jews have traditionally regarded the location of the stone inside the Dome of the Rock as the holiest spot on earth because it is where Isaac was almost sacrificed and it is the site of the Holy of Holies in Solomon's Temple, where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And remember, only certain people could go into the Holy of Holies or you were, I guess, kind of being blasphemous, you know? Because Muslim authorities have refused to permit Jewish prayer on the Temple Mount, the Jews developed a custom. Of praying near the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. So now you understand. In Jerusalem, there's this wall. The Jews can only pray there. That's as close as they can get to what formerly was their Holy of Holies, the Temple of the Temple. And you can go in to the Temple Mount today. And I have put YouTube's in the notes for those people who really want to see this. <laughs> you can actually. There's two. Um, there is a video of the of the Temple of Temple Mount and the Dome of the Rock exterior of Mount Moriah. That is by a Jewish couple and they actually weren't allowed in the um, Dome of the Rock. And then there's a video of the inside of the Dome of the Rock. And there is a picture of the rock inside the dome. So if you just want to look a picture, you can. And there's also, like I said, that map. But so you can get it straight in your head because it took a lot to get it straight in my head. To the Christians, so to the Jews, this is why this is so special to them, and this is why this is the most expensive, fought over piece of real estate in the world today, because it's it's all about this is our holy place versus this is your holy place, and who's allowed to do what. So anyone is allowed kind of on the Temple Mount, but Jews are not allowed to pray in the Dome of the Rock, and so they are prohibited from that. So it's kind of tense, and and you're going to hear that in one of the videos, which is really cool to say. They said when you get through all this clearance you have to go through to actually get on the Temple Mount, which is this big, huge, like, you know, um, stone, huge platform square that people can walk around and you can also see a palace there and all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of tension, they said, because there's actually two kinds of police patrolling. There's Palestinian police and there's Israeli police. This is why this spot is important to Christians. It's where baby Jesus was presented in the temple, where he was found among the teachers at age 12, where he later prayed and taught and drove money changers out of the temple precincts. This is where the veil was rent, signifying that we don't have to have a high priest anymore, that Jesus is our high priest. So it is very much part of Christian here to shoot. The Dome of the Rock, like I said, is the most sacred and disputed place in the world. It is holy place for Christians, Jews, and Muslims. And you're going to want to take a look at those videos. Very cool. In case you may never go there, I would like to go there. But again, you don't know if you're going to get clearance to get in there, even if you go there.
0: Well, that's one of the things that I think is the coolest about studying the Bible today is we have the internet oh my gosh. and gosh. And I, all the time when I'm reading my Bible, I will stop and go Google whatever it is. Cause I want to see that mountain. I want to see the volcano. I want to see whatever that was so that I can visualize it. Cause I'm very visual. And it's just like a really cool thing that we get to be able to experience stuff in a way that we can't or wouldn't have the opportunity to.
1: No, Haley kept saying, are you going to record too tonight? Because we really need to record too." And I said, you don't understand. I have been on a deep dive on this. There are videos and archeological digs. There was a refurbishing of the dome with the rock where they actually went underneath and found caverns and this one archaeologist archeolo- was allowed to look and then they kind of it stopped he couldn't go any further they found so much fascinating history of that time underneath that temple mound is a treasure trove that we just may never be allowed to to dig up and it's so much history. And then there's so many things like that they have redone around that area. And they were literally bulldozing and Mm -hmm. throwing stuff over. And finally someone says, stop. You've got to stop. Let us sift through this. And so there there have been a few archaeologists who have been allowed to do that. And again, you can YouTube those. It it pained my heart to think that this most precious place that has so much spiritual history has not is is, you know, we've not been allowed to really preserve it and really look at what's underneath the Temple Mount and the rock and all the caverns and oh, it's
0: crazy. Yeah well I can't wait to watch those videos now and hopefully you're a history buff like we are but even if you're not and that was a lot of history for you we apologize but just know this is where it all went down. Yeah this
1: is where it all went down. All right, scene three blessings again for Abraham this is that well done my good and faithful servant moment I hope to have one day in in heaven. Um, He's going to get it Right here, Abraham
0: is. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba, Nahor's sons. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She is born sons to your brother, Nahor, Uz the firstborn, Booz his brother, Camel, the father of Aram. Ki said, Hazo, Pildash. Jildoth, and Bethel. Bethel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Rimah, also had sons, Teba, Gam, Tahash, and Makkah.
1: Okay, whenever we have um, a genealogy, we're teeing something up. And the tee up here is actually not for Genesis 23, but Genesis 24 next week where we're going to have one of my favorite love stories in the Bible. So Bethuel, Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. And next week, it's all about Rebecca. And this this is where she came from. But to close out this chapter, big picture, there were two heroes in this story, Abraham and God. And the two go hand in hand. Abraham, the obvious hero, um, the man who has learned to have faith in God, and God the larger hero of this chapter and the entire book of the Bible because it is God who provides the ram in this chapter and the lamb for us in the New Testament. And this chapter is the story of God rescued Isaac But it's also the Bible is the story of how God rescues us.
0: That was a lot. Love that. But it was Love good that stuff. chapter. All right, we're going to do chapter twenty-three really quick. Scene four. Sarah lived to be hundred and twenty-seven years old. She died at Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, "I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site, so I can bury my dead." The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land of Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zahor, on my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of Machpelah." which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. "'No, my lord,' he said, "'listen to me, I give you the field.' And I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed low before the people of the land. And he said to Ephraim in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price for the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my Lord, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. (laughs) Abraham agreed to Ephron's. He's a stubborn old man, isn't he? Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephraim's field in Mechalef, near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field was deeded to Abraham and his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Mechalef, near Mamre, which is Hebron, the land of of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site.
1: Okay, so a lot of, you know, bowing to each other. No, no, you, you, <laughs> no, listen, no. listen, listen. They're just both honoring. But I do think it's kind of cool that, you know, again, the Hittites are going to be a problem in the future. But Abraham has built a very good, honorable name for himself. And people are more than willing to let him have the best of everything. He does come to own another piece of land uh, in in Canaan. So he's planting his seeds everywhere he can. But what I really want to talk about in this chapter really quick is Sarah. Because she is the only woman whose age, death, and burial is recorded in the scripture. We have a lot of lineage of a lot of guys, but she is the only one. And that was a huge distinction. She died at 127 years of age. So Isaac is about 37 years old. She is mentioned in the New Testament several times as an example to us but my favorite is found in what I call the Faith Hall of Fame. <laughs> and, and I'll probably always reference this on and off for years. Hebrews 11 is one of my favorite. Uh, I call it the Faith Hall of Fame because it, it's, it starts out like this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So now we're in the New Testament, kicking it back to the Old Testament. And I love this and it's very much part of my adoption story because it, it really was a word for, from the Lord for me. And then it kind of lists... After it says that all the greats who live by faith, and it goes through Abel and Enoch and Noah, whom we've already covered. It mentions Abraham in like three paragraphs. And then we get a mention of Sarah in verse 11. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Sarah, for all her ornery, kind of selfish ways, or jealous ways, I should say, with Hagar, did come to believe the promise. Um, and then it goes on to mention Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, the only other woman. There's only two women in the list Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, the prophets. And then it closes with this. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. All of them had this promise they were looking forward to. We in the New Testament life have that promise because it was made perfect in Jesus. So only two women mentioned in the, fa- in the Hall of Fame the Faith Hall of Fame, Sarah was the first and she may have laughed in the beginning of her story, but in the end she had faith.
0: Well, and I think it's worth mentioning something that I learned from you, Susan is that the book of Hebrews, which is what you were just reading from, was a writing urging some some Christians that were thinking about going back to Judaism to mm-hmm. not to stay the course and keep the faith. And the fact that you raised that verse of Hebrews 11, faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see, that also is exactly. Exactly what Abraham did mm-hmm. on that three day journey and all the way up that mountain. Oh, good point.
1: That's so true. And 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 it's, this is why, you know, we all read the New Testament so much more. or We hear about it so much more in the Old Testament. But you really can't make sense of the New Testament unless you know the Old Testament, because like this whole Hebrews, that's what they're referring to is. The ancients, as I said. yeah. There's so much in the show notes this week. So take a look because you will um, really have fun watching those and figuring out all the places that in Israel that still are there today that are a proof of everything we're learning.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to go watch those. But here is what I would like every listener to do this week or as you ponder this episode. What is your mountain? Mm -hmm. What mountain are you walking on right now? where you just need to have faith and confidence and know that God has you. Just follow him and do what he's telling you to do and watch what happens because it's going to be a wild ride. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible book club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club." club.